This is 112BK coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn. On the show today, how the Trump administration's plan to end net neutrality will affect community news organizations, including Brick. Giving Tuesday is here, and no one gives more in this borough than Brooklyn Community Foundation. An explosive growth in downtown Brooklyn. Plus, what's happening to help local businesses during the holiday season. Hi, I'm Ashley Ford. Thank you so much for being here. I'm happy to be here. I missed you guys while I was gone, even though I heard Brian did a fantastic job. I hope you had an amazing holiday. I know I did, and I can't wait to get into the show with you. So stay tuned, because net neutrality could be gone by mid-December. What would that mean to community news and media? And then two major local organizations dropped by to talk up their plans for the holidays. The Brooklyn Community Foundation on today's Day of Giving and the Downtown Brooklyn Partnership on its Holiday Deals program. But first, these things. While everyone's been busy complaining about our troubled NYC subways, looks like our bus system is getting worse too. City Comptroller Scott Stringer has issued a report saying our buses don't show up on time move at a snail's pace when they do arrive, and maybe not surprisingly, have been losing riders. To the tune of 100 million fewer passengers in 2016 compared with 2008. Joe Loda, chairman of the MTA, pushed back, saying the problem lies with inadequate traffic control and the city's failure to enforce the traffic laws. Wherever the fault lies, much of the impact falls on commuters in the outer boroughs. That's us, folks, where job growth has been surging meaning there are even more frustrated and stranded bus riders. Not to mention that, on average, they earn about two-thirds the personal income of people using the subways. $28,455 compared to $40,000. Not that subway riders are exactly happy these days, either. And guess what? The commute in Brooklyn is only going to get more crowded, thanks to some good news. That doesn't seem fair. But anyway, the publication Multi-Housing News reports that while our hot little borough continues to grow, more on that later, by the way, all those new housing and office units, plus the high cost of living, are actually slowing the rise in rents here. Meanwhile, sales have also slowed. Sellers don't want to lower their prices while buyers are hesitant to pay at the peak of the cycle. But it's all relative. This does not mean you're suddenly going to start finding bargains in the real estate bin. One landlord who probably isn't too happy this morning is Daniel Malamud. At the Supreme Court in downtown Brooklyn Monday, a judge hit him with up to 30 days in jail after he pled guilty to fraud and grand larceny charges connected to unlawful eviction of his Crown Heights tenants, according to the Brooklyn Daily Eagle. In a previous trial this summer, Malamud's very unhappy tenants said they had to use buckets for bathing and ovens for heating and had to avoid inhaling lead dust. Judge Danny Chun did give Malamud the option of paying a $200,000 fine to reduce the 30 days down to 20. In early 2015, the state and city created a tenant harassment prevention task force. And this is their first case. So far, they're batting 1,000. We'll be right back with Tony Riddle, our own in-house brick house expert on what a World Wide Web without net neutrality could look like. Don't go away. In two weeks on December 14th, the Federal Communications Commission will vote on whether or not to kill net neutrality. I know what you're thinking. Could there be two less exciting words than net neutrality? But it's relevant and interesting, I promise. Net neutrality basically means an internet that enables and protects free speech. 
Obama-era regulations prevent internet service providers from censoring, slowing down, or speeding up whatever it is you want to do on the internet. And now, under the Trump administration, these rules and your open internet protection are at risk of being reversed. Here to talk about how the consequences could really hit home is Anthony Riddle, BRIC's own director of community media. Thank you for joining us today, Tony. Thanks for having me, Ashley. Well, first of all, can you just explain to me or to anybody else, because net neutrality, the term sounds super boring, but why is it important? Well, it sounds really technical, but it's actually something that people already know a lot about and sort of accept without really even knowing that they have it, mm -hmm. which is that the Internet should be open and it should be free, and that um, the information going across the Internet should not be sped up, slowed down, or blocked according to what the person who's operating the wire mm -hmm. uh, thinks. Absolutely. And why, like, why would anybody oppose that? I think that's sort of the thing that keeps coming up in conversations that I hear. It's like, who could possibly be against net neutrality? Well, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good question, but there is an answer to it. If you, mm -hmm. if you look back to when the Internet started, you know, it started off as a scientific project you know, of the federal government and, and several major universities, and it turned out to be a, a really good protocol for people to be able to share information. And so the government put most of the money in. In other words, you and I paid for mm -hmm. um, the development of the Internet. And it was open in that sense. But as with everything else, there's sort of a Wild West time when mm -hmm. things are free, and then there's a time when the large um, businesses or institutions move in and try to take control over it because there's a lot of uh, power. And so um, the companies that, that run the wires, that run the fibers through our public land, mm -hmm. which we own, um, they would like to have control over the internet because there's a great no amount of power in it, either through the control of information or the control of commerce. Mm. And so ultimately another way to make money or to yeah, gain I more think, power. Well, yeah, I think in the United States, obviously, everything comes down to um, money. I was mm -hmm. just musing this morning how in the United States the problem is that the larger corporations are trying to take control over uh, all of the commerce and all the information. Um, but in China, it may develop that it's the government that wants to, mm. to um, control. The bottom line is that um, the people shouldn't be controlled in that way. Absolutely. One of the things that uh, I think about or worry about or whatever is the fact that sometimes it seems like the current administration is only doing things to compromise or lessen the Obama legacy. Yeah. Is this another one of those things? Well, you know, I think it, yeah, it falls into that category in the sense that, that um, yes, if, if Obama declared that, um, that people should sleep all day, then people would be up at 5 o'clock in the morning trying to undo him. Right. Um, but, you know, the real fact of the matter is that it's not really a matter of Obama. It's not actually really a matter of Trump. It's a matter of what do you want to be as people. You mm -hmm. know, um, it, a really short version of that is the Juneteenth celebration. Right. Uh, that, you know, was June, June 19th was the day that uh, Africans in the United States found out that there was no longer any slavery, but they found out two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation, which meant for two and a half years, people labored under the notion that they were still obligated to be in slavery wow. uh, when really information would have set them free. And so that's the situation that our children are in right now, you know, that um, if they're not able to get the proper information, it doesn't matter what choices they have as human beings if they don't have the information they need to make those choices. And so that's what, that's what we're fighting for. 
And what would you, if you were having a conversation with somebody right now who specifically said, why should I care about this? Like why, maybe I, you know, I only use my internet for email. You know, I don't, I'm not really on the internet like y'all. I'm not really on the internet like that. Yeah. Like, I mean, is it just the freedom of information or well, is there very practical, like day-to-day yeah, -day reasons? Well, for instance, you know, I'm, I may have to look at my notes a little bit here, That's but right. I know, for instance, uh, Comcast at one point blocked all peer-to-peer -peer, um, communications, mm -hmm. meaning like if you wanted to download music, if you wanted to download um, movies from friends or in some social group, you couldn't do that. Um, AT&T blocked Skype. You know, so right. they felt that Skype was um, uh, sort of a threat to their own uh, cell phone communication system. Verizon blocked tethering. People, most people don't know what tethering is, but basically you can take your phone and if you have... Um, uh, data. Uh, yeah, data. Yeah. Thank you. If you have yeah. data, then you can uh, tether it to your uh, computer and you can get your computer to go out through your cell phone. So they block that. Uh -huh. And one that people may be very interested in is AT&T at one time blocked um, uh, FaceTime. And really? The, yeah, all of this was happening before Obama's rules were put into place. Not really Obama's rules, but the Obama era rules were right. put into place and they actually contributed. One of the main things that contributed to the rules being written was that um, Netflix was in a big conflict with Comcast because Net, uh, Comcast was basically saying, we do movies, we do television, you're competing with us, unless you pay us money, we're not gonna let you go over the Comcast uh, internet lines. And uh, Netflix is huge, and they, right. went to, they went to war with Comcast, but they, they lost and gave in at some point and gave um, millions and millions of dollars to Comcast to keep their service from being slow. So you just picture Netflix with that little, um, that wheel. Uh, lagging thing, yeah, that you know, you you're not going to watch of. that. You turn it off, right? Yeah. And so there's people's, big people's business is at risk, but also small businesses are at risk because obviously, you know, how are you going, how are you going to come up with a new service and make it competitive when you can't pay the fees that others are paying? I think right. it's hard for people to understand how this works, but I like to use mm -hmm. Disneyland as an example because mm -hmm. it is sort of a Disneyland thing. Right. Um, so if you go to Disneyland or if you've been to Disney World, you know the biggest problem there is the extent, extended lines. You may be in line for an hour and a half for a ride, two hours I've even seen. Mm -hmm. so, but instead of solving the problem by making the line shorter, what Disneyland did was uh, they created the sort of an easy pass. So you pay like a hundred, between a hundred and two hundred dollars for a person for a day and you can skip the lines. So in effect, instead of investing money and in trying to figure out how to speed the lines up, they decided to make a profit off of the problem that they had, which was right. long lines. The same thing will happen with internet providers. Instead of us keeping up with South Korea, instead of us keeping up with Croatia, which is, you know, way faster than us, there'll be no incentive to invest in a faster internet if you're making your profit off of people paying to get adequate service, right? right? And so it's just as though you had the HOV lines, lanes in the highway here, but you had to pay extra to be in those. And, and so the Department of Transportation is now making money from traffic instead of trying to solve traffic. That's the situation we'll end up in. Oh my God, that sounds terrible to me. Yeah. Can you tell me really quickly, you know, as somebody, this is like deeply personal to me and probably a little personal to you, how would this affect Brick? How would this affect, you know, an arts organization right here in Brooklyn? Well, I just gave an example that's very similar. So yeah. a lot of people um, may actually be watching this program mm -hmm. on the internet. They may be uh, streaming the signal. Right. They may be looking at it on as a YouTube version that we post later. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm 
I'm not picking on anybody, Time Warner or um, Altice, mm -hmm. you know, Charter or Altice here in Brooklyn, I may decide that uh, I don't want people to look at the program on the internet, I want them to pay for cable. And so any kind of streaming that takes place uh, over the internet may go slow mm -hmm. as compared to uh, the television programs that come over my cable service. Then I can jack the bills up to right. pass the 180 $200 a month that they are now. Okay, that sounds terrible <laughs> to me. Um, if I want to do something, if I want to help change this, if I want to get into somebody's ear and see if I can be part of the solution to fight for net neutrality, what do I do? Well, I think the first thing you do is call Congress. If you don't have your Congress people's um, phone numbers right now, you should get them regardless because I'm sure you're going to have to call them on any number of things. But I've, I've done work with Congress before. Uh, it's nice to send them an email, it's nice to sign a petition, but they really respond to people in the home district either calling or if you have a few moments, stop by the office. Mm -hmm. Send them a fax, that's also physical, the paper will actually be sitting there, but get in, con in contact with your congressperson. The voting is supposed to be, I think, in the FCC on December 14th. Mm -hmm. Do it before then. By the way, th yes. um, the people who are against net neutrality sent, I think it's over a million fake um, emails to the FCC. Uh, not real people saying that they were in favor of net neutrality being canceled. So you need to get your voice out there. Uh, you can pro attend a protest. I know there's going to be protests here in New York on December 7th at several of the phone companies mm -hmm. uh, that have been in favor of ending net neutrality. There's going to be a big rally on December 14th in Washington, D.C. If you've never been to a rally in D.C., I suggest at some point in your life, left, right, middle, you need to go. It's worth right. it. Take popcorn. And finally, uh, if you want to know what organizations are working on this, you can go to um, hashtag net neutrality on any of your social media. If you need an easy address, EFF.org, Electronic Frontiers mm -hmm. Foundation.org, EFF.org. They have um, good information there if you want to read up on it. Fantastic. Thank you so much Thank for coming you. on here and talking to us about this today, Hope we Tony. can do this again. Oh, I'm sure we will. <laughs> Next on 112BK. The borough's largest philanthropic organization, Brooklyn Community Foundation, on how it's getting Brooklynites to give to other Brooklynites. Now that we've stuffed ourselves with turkey and shopped and surfed for the best Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals, it's time for the Big Tuesday event. That is, the day of giving on the Tuesday after the Thanksgiving holiday. It reminds us, in the midst of our spending craze, what Thanksgiving was meant to be about. And how do we give back to the local Brooklyn community, you ask? Well, I'm glad you did. Here is Cecilia Clark from the Brooklyn Community Foundation to talk to us today about Brooklyn Gives, a campaign that supports local nonprofits right here in the borough. Thank you for joining us on 112 today. So can you talk to me a little bit at first about just like how this got started? Like yeah. how did this come to be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're in our second year, mm -hmm. and last year, um, well, so there was kind of two things happening at once here. We launched a big prize for Brooklyn nonprofits called the Spark Prize. Yeah. And it comes from our mission, which is to spark social change. Right. So that's where the name of the prize came from. And last year was its first year. Mm -hmm. And it's just this wonderful process where any kind of organization applies, there are specific criteria, and right. then we have a committee of local civic leaders and business leaders who actually are the ones who read all of the applications and decide. Um, and there are five winners, and they get $100,000 each, no string attached, so it's a big prize. But on the way to the five, there are 20 finalists. 
And so we thought, how can we show the finalists a lot of love? Because right. 15 of them are going to be bummed out that they're not the spark winners, right? right? And what we came up with is we'll do a match. Mm -hmm. So we offer a $100,000 match, 5000 per each of the finalists. And then we thought, well, what's the best way for them to leverage our $5,000 match? Right. Having nothing to do, by the way, whether or not they end up as the five, final, the five winners, right. right? This is just at the final stage. And then we thought, let's use Giving Tuesday. Yes. Um, and my incredible director of communications, Leanne Stegmeyer, said, let's make it our own. Mm -hmm. And so kind of essentially renamed it Brooklyn Gives. Right. And so it's Brooklyn Gives on Giving Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And with our 100,000 in there offered out, but we offer training to each of the 20 so that they'll be able to maximize the $5,000 match. Uh, how to use the website, how to make that day count, this day count. Right. And last year we raised 275000 Wow. Yeah, so that's money coming into the nonprofits themselves or it's coming into us and then we redistribute to the 20 of them. Wow. Um, and then this year, of course, we, we're actually already at about 250000 oh So goodness. we still have until midnight, well, until 11.59. So I hope we blow right by the 275 from last year, and um, you know I'd love to raise 400,000, yes. and one day I'd like to raise a million. You know, so but I think the point is that we wanted to shine a spotlight on these 20 phenomenal Brooklyn nonprofits. Eventually, between you and me and the rest of the audience. Um, <laughs> we'd love to blow it open for Brooklyn nonprofits. Right. And maybe there would be the Spark finalist component and then any other nonprofits that wanted to sign on to this platform that we've started to create right. to really increase Brooklyn generosity. So what criteria are the nonprofits judged on to yes. see whether or Great not question. they make it into that top five? Great question. Um, so we have four criteria. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brooklyn born, what's your story? So you could maybe be headquartered in New York, but why can you claim that you serve communities and people of Brooklyn? Excellent the question. second is racial justice and social justice. Mm -hmm. Do you have a strong racial justice lens? Do you have a focus on racial justice? Mm -hmm. The third is values. So we have five very clear values, and it doesn't mean you have to have our values, but is there a way you can show that you're value-led, that you're a right. value-focused organization? And the fourth is a vision for the future. So even though it's a no-strings-attached $100,000 prize, the vision for the future would say, like, this would be an amazing time to get the Spark Prize because we're moving locations or we're opening up another site or that kind of thing. Right. And, and wh where's the excitement? Mm -hmm. So those are the four criteria. And we received 135 applications in this spring. Wow. And the Spark Prize Committee this fall got it down to um, 20. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that is it's so, so great. Amazing. And now, actually, have... right now, the interviews are happening, and those interviews will determine how we get to five. Do you have a committee? or Yes, it's like... an amazing committee. They're, yeah. And they're super, 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 they're all Brooklynites. Yeah. Um, but some are in philanthropy, some are activists, some are city uh, officials, mm -hmm. uh, some are entrepreneurs. I mean, it really is a kind of Brooklyn leaders. That's fantastic. Um, and they're a great group. I think they're 32, exactly. Sounds and amazing. they can serve for two years. It's, by the way, it's actually a lot of work for them because they read a it lot of applications. Like yes, and then you know you go to the first convening and it's also painful. Yes, yeah, choosing, and then it's really painful to oh, get to yeah. the five. So I that happens imagine. in December. Yeah. Oh, oh, I can't imagine. And then there's a huge breakfast, the Spark Prize breakfast celebration, um, February eighth. February eighth is the Spark Prize celebration, and last year. 
uh, we celebrated the five winners. So I'm a person who wants to contribute somehow. Yes. I want to help out. I want, when you get that final number, I want to know that my $20 was part of that. How do I do that? Okay. So brooklyngives.org. So literally all you have to do is mm -hmm. brooklyngives.org. It's its own website. I mean, you'll, you could find it through our own, but brooklyngives.org. And then what's really wonderful is you can click um, view all participants mm -hmm. or view the underdogs. Mm -hmm. And you can pick just one of those finalists or two of those finalists because maybe it's about women or maybe it's about uh, criminal justice or you know maybe it's something that speaks to your heart and take your $20 and just go to there. Right. Or you're like, you know what? All 20 of these sound amazing. Right. So you just give your 20 to us and, then you and at the end we distribute. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, but what's been interesting, I've been watching it, you know, I refresh it on my phone, I've been mm -hmm. watching it, and most people are actually choosing organizations. Right. Uh, so less is actually coming to us, which is completely fine. Right. Yeah. Um, and and also independently, all of these 20 nonprofits back in the office mm -hmm. are trying to like maximize this day and Good. getting people to donate and that kind of thing. Good. Yeah. Well, Cecilia, thank you so much oh, for coming so here and talking to us about this. Yeah. I hope that you get more than a few donations from this broadcast. <laughs> yes, You'll give. definitely Brooklyn be getting gives. something from me. Brooklyn does give. Brooklyn yeah. always gives. Brooklyn does give. All right. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you. All right. Take care. Next, the dynamic development of downtown Brooklyn and an initiative to help local businesses. Don't go away. As anyone who lives here knows, Brooklyn is rapidly changing. Some see that as mostly positive, others protest most of it is gentrification. And in one of the fastest growing neighborhoods, downtown Brooklyn, what do these changes actually mean? What's happening to demographics, especially in age and educational background, to the types of jobs offered, to the art scene? And how about the physical infrastructure from schools to subways? Here to talk to us today about these changes and tell us about a special holiday initiative is Regina Meyer, president of the Downtown Brooklyn Partnership. Welcome to 112BK. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm Thank thrilled you to for be being here. here. Can you tell me a little bit about the partnership? Sure. The partnership is really an amalgam of a few different organizations, mm -hmm. but the mission is always to move downtown Brooklyn forward. Mm -hmm. So at its foundation, we're three business improvement districts charged with making sure that, that downtown Brooklyn works, that mm -hmm. it's clean, that it's safe, that it looks as great as it can be, and that it's really, really a warm, hospital place to, to come visit or go to school or live in. Mm -hmm. The other part of the partnership is what I'd call our advocacy arm, and that is we're advocating for the future of downtown Brooklyn. And we really believe in the future of Brooklyn as a whole, but mm -hmm. especially the downtown, because it's such a special place. It's always been a special place. Right. And for that reason, and because, as you mentioned, New York City is always moving forward, mm -hmm. downtown Brooklyn has to be on pace. Right. So can you tell me really quickly what are some of the projects that have popped up around downtown Brooklyn that you're most excited about or most proud of? Well, what I'm really most proud of is the fact that in the past decade, downtown Brooklyn has evolved into a great dynamic mixed-use neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, for years, years after um, decline in the borough of Brooklyn, we had some great shopping in downtown, we had a great civic center, and we had some offices. Mm -hmm. But that was about it. It really had a sort of static feel to it that that's what it was about. 
And now that it's become a great mixed-use neighborhood, I realize that it's all that work that so many people put into downtown Brooklyn that makes it as exciting as it is. And one of those aspects is the cultural district, right? Mm -hmm. We're sitting right here in Brick, and to me, it's the cultural institutions that have found, that found a home in downtown Brooklyn, whether it be Brooklyn Academy of Music, Theater for a New Audience, Mark Morris, uh, Brick itself, which always had a downtown presence. Um, those institutions are its soul, and they are a part of the future. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that's most that I feel most proud of. I also feel that the fact that people are starting to call downtown Brooklyn home mm -hmm. is really a change. Mm -hmm. And um, you're right, that change brings a lot of questions. Certain people feel that um, um, change has happened too fast, but I know in my heart of heart that change is in the right location. We have this incredible transit system, mm -hmm. so um, everybody is mostly taking transit to get home or to go to the office or, yeah. to, or bike. You know, there's not a lot of cars, um, right. even though there's a lot of traffic. It's not like these new new apartments are generating new cars, right. and, and it feels right. Um, I think you're also right. We're also worried about making sure there's enough schools and making yes. sure there's enough access Talk to education. To me about that because um, I think that's a big concern for people are things like schools, subways, even like sewers. It's like what about the infrastructure? Can we hold this influx? And what does that mean for people who have been living around here forever? Yeah, well, I think that the the great news is is that downtown Brooklyn has the capacity to grow because of its in infrastructure. Mm -hmm. We've got every subway in New York City practically except the 7. Right. Um, serving downtown Brooklyn mm -hmm. and the Long Island Railroad. And people know that. So people come to downtown Brooklyn to get off the train, and then they get back on the train, whether they live here. And it's that dynamic infrastructure which makes downtown Brooklyn great. Another thing that I feel so proud of is you know, a project like City Point. City mm. Point is a project that, to me, is emblematic of that great infrastructure right. because you have sh shopping, um, mm -hmm. like Target, national brand, ta mm -hmm. shopping like some smaller, I don't want to say mom and pops, but smaller brands, mm -hmm. all of the great food in, in the basement, which is certainly serving sort of a new infrastructure oh, yeah. and that we all think is super yummy, and movies and Trader Joe's all in one place. Mm -hmm. And that's working. It's becoming um, a place in people's mind's eye. And why is that? It's that phenomenal location right above the subway right. where people come on and off. So I think we have to really keep our eye on things, like absolutely. making sure there's enough schools. You're mm -hmm. absolutely right, and we're working really hard to make sure there's new schools in any new development. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one thing, that, um, a new school was just announced on Gold Street, um, which will be an, a, an elementary school, and we're working on a few others that are in the pipeline. Because mm -hmm. we need, now that we have residences, right. we need to make sure our children are educated. Absolutely. Um, and then in terms of the subways, we need to advocate for um, improvements, right? But mm -hmm. we all know that that's become a citywide yes. conversation <laughs> that I'm sure you're talking about on other we shows. We just talked about it earlier. <laughs> it's, it's happening. It's everywhere. We can't stop talking about it because we have to see something done. But I'm sure that there are people working on it. Can you tell me about holiday deals? Sure. We do deals 
all year long because mm -hmm. we really want to support the infrastructure, not the infrastructure, the, the um, commercial stores, the moms mm -hmm. and pops, and, and uh, frankly, some of the national brands as well that mm -hmm. have located in downtown Brooklyn because that's what makes our street life so lively. Right. Um, so we have deals all year long, but mm -hmm. um, our holiday deals are special. More and more um, stores are participating, and in fact, this year they were so popular our deal booklets mm -hmm. that we gave we had to go back for a second round of printing and we've wow. already given out 15,000 wow. deal books and so we really focus on oh, the wide range of users in downtown Brooklyn right. there's a lot of people living here mm -hmm. there's a lot of tourists you know we have so many hotels yes. now so we make sure they get the visibility and mm -hmm. honestly that booklet if, if a tourist uses one of those shops in mm -hmm. downtown Brooklyn, I feel that that's a success because they've learned something coming from out of town about Brooklyn Absolutely. that they wouldn't have known. And then the students, right? We have a right. lot of students here. Mm -hmm. And they they love deals, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, who doesn't? I, I mean, I certainly do. I'm, I'm looking around right now. Like, did you bring me a booklet? You know, or do I, I, I have to go I left get it one? on my desk, so I'm going to have to ma have it sent go right over. I'm going to get sort one. of an embarrassment. No, yeah. no, that's fantastic. But they're out there. And yes. We can go look for them. If Absolutely. I wanted to get one right now, is there some place specifically I should go to get one? Um, yeah, uh, let me um, get back to you. But I think we, we try to give them out in the lobbies of different places. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So just keep an eye out. Keep an eye out for them. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. We'll have you back sometime, I, I'm certain. Okay. Thanks for joining us on 112BK today. Tomorrow, Jarrett Murphy of City Limits looks into how the city says it's finally going to get the lead out of its public housing. And we'll talk about voter turnout in the city. It's very low, if you must know. See you next time. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley Ford, and is produced by Ross Tuttle, Fred Brown, Shireen Bargy, Emily Bogosian, and Chrissy Roberts. Our show is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer, and is recorded by our studio technical director, Eric Haugasek. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias. If you want to get in touch, you can leave us a comment, tweet us using the hashtag 112BK, email us at 112BKpodcast at gmail.com, or leave a message at 347-504-0801. And make sure you subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or whichever podcatcher you use. 112BK is part of the Brick Radio family. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio.